Isaiah 66, verses 1 through 6. Uh, if you need a Bible, raise your hand. If you need a Bible. Testing, testing. Isaiah 66, verses 1 through 13. Thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you have built for me? And what is the place of my rest? All these things my hands has made. So all these things come to be, declares the Lord. But this is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. He who slaughters an ox is like one who kills a man. He who sacrifices a lamb like one who breaks a dog's neck. He who presents a grain offering like one who offers pig's blood. He who makes a memorial offering of frankincense like one who blesses an idol. These have chosen their own ways and their souls delight in their abominations. I also will choose harsh treatment for them and bring their fears upon them, because when I called, no one answered. When I spoke, they did not listen, but they did what was evil in my eyes and chose that in which I did not delight. Hear the word of the Lord, you who tremble at his word, your brothers who hate you and cast, cast you out for my name's sake. He said, let the Lord be glorified, that we may see your joy. But it is they who shall be put to shame. The sound of an uproar from the city, a sound from the temple, the sound of the Lord rendering recompense to his enemies. Before she was in labor, she gave birth. Before her pain came upon her, she delivered a son. Who has heard such a thing? Who has seen such things? Shall a land be born in one day? Shall a nation be brought from? We brought forth in one moment, for as soon as Zion was in labor, she brought forth her children. Shall I bring to the point of her of birth and not cause to bring forth, says the Lord. Shall I, who cause to bring forth, shut the womb, says your God. Rejoice with Jerusalem and be glad for her, all you who loved her. Rejoice with her in joy, all you who mourn over her that may nurse and be satisfied from her consoling breast that you may drink <coughs> deeply within delight from her glorious abundance. For thus says the Lord, behold, I will extend peace to her like a river, and the glory of the nation like an overflowing stream, and you shall nurse and you shall be carried upon her hips and bounce upon her knees. As one whom his mother comforts, so I will comfort you, you shall be comforted in Jerusalem. Amen. Thanks for that reading, Carday. I would like to draw your attention this morning to verse 13 in that passage. As one whom his mother comforts, so I will comfort you. 
you shall be comforted in Jerusalem. A mother has a unique ability to bring comfort to her children. When my son Chapman falls and hurts himself, he runs directly past me with his arms open to his mother because he knows that he can find a comfort in his mother that is unique. I want to talk to you this morning on this topic, comfort like a mother. Comfort like a mother. Let's pray and let's dive into this passage. Father, we thank you for this opportunity that we have to gather this morning. We recognize that as we gather in the name of Christ, He is present. We pray this morning that we would experience the presence of Jesus in our midst. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. We like to pretend that we don't need comfort in life. We like to think of ourselves as strong, competent, resilient. And so we grind and we take on more than we should. We try to be the hero. We try to save everybody. And if we're honest in the way that we typically present ourselves, we act like those who need to be comforted are are weak. As a preacher, my first goal is to be as real with myself as possible, my own limitations, my own weaknesses, as I'm encountered, uh, as I encounter God's Word. Secondly, my goal is to get you to be as realistic as possible. First, to admit what you viscerally know, and that is that we are weak and in need of comfort. Society is trembling. Society is in pain. The world is anxious, depressed, sad, angry, ashamed, and guilty. We need comfort. For some of you this morning, as today is Mother's Day, you might say, my mother has passed away. Today what I need is comfort. Others might say, my mother was never really a mother to me. So I need comfort. Someone else in the room might admit that over the last year, I've lost friends to murder, and I have no comfort. Or others, I'm getting older, and I'm feeling my own death drawing near, and I have no comfort. Someone here might admit that they are trying to do the right thing. And confess that everybody out there 
around them is going the opposite direction and they seem to be happier, wealthier, and more successful. I have no comfort. I want us to be real with ourselves this morning and recognize that we are in need of comfort. The second thing I want us to admit is that we all are in habits of finding comfort somewhere. Some find comfort in southern comfort, if you understand what I'm saying. It's a cheap liquor if you don't, didn't get that one. <laughs> Others find comfort in wealth, in striving for success. And still others find comfort in social media, how many fans they have online. We're taking a a break from our series in Luke and looking at Isaiah this morning. Because the people in Isaiah's day were in great need of comfort. By this time, things in Israel were very bad. If you were here for our Jeremiah series last year, it's a very similar context. Things are very bad. The verses that frame the whole book of Isaiah are Deuteronomy 4, verses 25 through 31. You don't need to turn there, but let me just highlight what those verses tell us. What those verses tell us and what they prophesy about Israel and what they warn Israel against is this. If you make anything an idol, God's anger will be aroused. Heaven and earth will be called as witnesses against you because the skies and the ground see everything you do. Oh, family, if the heavens and the earth could testify against you, how much shame would you have? Where can you go to sin and avoid being seen by the skies or the earth? God is saying at some point there's going to be a reckoning. At some point, I'm going to call as my witnesses the skies. What have you seen? I'm going to call as my witnesses the earth. What have you seen? You can only imagine how much shame you would have in your life if the skies and the earth could talk. And what God is saying in Isaiah is they have given their witness. And what the skies have seen is idolatry. The people in Isaiah's day have turned to idols. They've turned to other things that are not God and made them God and worshipped them as God and treasured them above God. And Israel and Isaiah is indicted for their sin. By the time we get to chapter 66, we're at the end of the book. And while there is indictment, while Jerusalem is going to be destroyed, while there are exiles being taken out of the land, the book ends with great comfort. 
If you were reading this book in Isaiah's day, you would know that you need the comfort that he's about to talk about in Isaiah chapter 66. In chapter 66, we see extraordinary pictures of comfort. First, in the first four verses, which Carde read, Isaiah references the unrepentant. Those who continue on in their idolatry. And he's basically saying, if you, even if you participate in Jewish worship, if your heart is far from me, it might as well be idolatry. He goes on in chapters, or verses 5 and 6 of chapter 66. And he looks at the repentant rebels. Those who, in verse 5, tremble at his word. They are hated by their brothers. These are the faithful remnant. These are the exiles who are going to be brought back into the land. And that's what he says in verses 7 and 9. He uses some really interesting pictures and these, these symbols and these images of mother and labor and pain. And what he's basically saying is, is before she even feels labor pain, there's going to be a baby born. There's going to be an immediate, quick birth. Now the images he connects to Jerusalem and this remnant. Meaning the repentant rebels are the baby that's going to be born. And the mother we see in verse 11 and 12 is Jerusalem. Jerusalem is going to be the one who had nothing and then all of a sudden filled with life. And she has a son. That son is the people. The repentant rebels coming back from exile. If you look at verse 12, he says, for thus says the Lord, Behold, I will extend to her, that's Jerusalem, Peace like a river. And the glory of the nations like an overflowing stream. And you shall nurse. And you shall be carried upon her hip. And bounced upon her knees. He's looking at these individuals, these saints, in need of comfort. And he's saying one day there is going to be a complete restoration. Back to Jerusalem. And in that day, you will be nourished by her breast. That is to say, you will be nourished by the Word that she produces. That she supplies. You will drink deeply from what she has to offer. She will be the glory of the nation. Can we just pause for a moment and recognize something? America is not the glory of the nations. Can we all say amen to that? Amen. America is not the glory of the, the nations. And that's not to say that America isn't a great nation in many ways, hasn't achieved things, but there is no nation that is the glory of the nations other than Jerusalem, the kingdom of God. Here's, let's, let's just keep drawing this down because it's easy for us to say amen to the fact that America is not the glory of the nations, but we also have to recognize that there is no state, there is no city, there is no neighborhood, and there is no block 
that can comfort you in America. There is nothing outside here that can bring you what you think you need. Do you understand? There is no comfort. The nations rage. The neighborhoods rage. The blocks rage. But there is comfort to be found. Not in the world. But in this world that is to come. Look at verse 13. This is where comfort is found. He says, as one whom his mother comforts, so I will comfort you. You shall be comforted in Jerusalem. Notice the repetition in verse 13. Repetition is an old way of emphasizing something. If this was a text message, it would be like, uh, you will be comforted. A lot of exclamation points and emojis. That's the emphasis of this passage. There is comfort to be found. There is going to be comfort. Where is there comfort? Well, first we see that the, God is ultimately the supplier of comfort. The comfort that we need is coming from God. But secondly, what I want to point out is that the means that God will use to supply this comfort is Mother Jerusalem, his people. That, uh, Jerusalem is personified here as this mother. Jerusalem then becomes the means of grace. Jerusalem becomes the means through which God will apply his comfort to his people. In other words, his people become the substance of comfort for his people. Now, what does this mean for us? We're not living in the old covenant where God has made a covenant through Abraham and through Moses with, with the nation state of Israel, but rather we are living in the new covenant. We are living in this time in which we see the people of God covering not just simply one landmass, but the entire earth. Jew and Gentile. In Romans 9, the church is referred to as true Israel. In Galatians chapter 4, verse 26, we see that heavenly Jerusalem, who later on in Revelation 22 and 23, we see to be the whole count, uh, gathered people of God, heavenly Jerusalem is called our mother. So here, here's the argument I want to make from this text in the way that we should apply this for us today. The church is the means through which God will comfort you like a mother. Are you tracking with me? God is going to bring comfort to everybody in this room who realizes they need comfort, who is coming to Him for comfort, God is ultimately behind the comfort that we receive, and the church is the means through which we experience that comfort. So how does the church comfort like a mother? That's the question. Let me give you three points of application. Number one. The church comforts like a mother instinctively. 
the church comforts like a mother instinctively. Turn in your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. If you're new to the Bible, you can look in the table of contents and find a page number. 1 Thessalonians 2 is all the way at the end of the New Testament. If you could go ahead and turn there with me. Mothers are able to comfort their children instinctively. Uh, the Montrell and, and Eric, our other elders, they gave praise to their wives. And so I must give praise to my wife. They gave me the green light. My wife, sometimes she says, why didn't you, why didn't you say happy birthday to me? From a, well, I was preaching the word, all right? But <laughs> my, my wife uh, is instinctively just a good mother. Uh, I, I, I've known her since the time she had her first child. And, and there was just this instinct. Like, she knew how to comfort this child in a way that I was trying to figure out. You know, dads, we got to take classes on this sort of stuff. Mothers instinctively know how to comfort a child. This is why when there is abuse from a mother which I think of Sean, who preached here a couple weeks ago, and some of what he shared in the Q&A is he was abused by his own mother. I think when there's abuse from a mother, uh, that's, that's why it's, it's so horrific and it's so heart-wrenching, because there's something very unnatural about that. There's something un unhuman about that. And so let me just say this, and I recognize Mother's Day is joyful and can also be a somber day for some. For those who might have experienced abuse, we weep with you. And we recognize something very unnatural about that. But praise be to God and thanks be to God that so many mothers do instinctively follow that, that, that intuition of, of knowing how to comfort their child. I've seen women who have never held a baby before in their life become a mother and all of a sudden know how to comfort that child. Nobody can comfort that child like that mother. In the same way, if God is saying that we, as a church, provide comfort to one another like a mother, that is to say it is instinctive. Meaning there's something that has happened among those who constitute the church to where they have a new awareness. They have uh, unique gifts and abilities to just simply be that kind of comforting community. Which means that the church doesn't need classes on how to comfort each other as much as we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Churches that are cold and brittle and not places where a sinner can come and be comforted are churches that are usually and typically filled with unregenerate people. On the flip side, churches that are filled with regenerate people, meaning people who are saved, people who have trusted Jesus Christ and treasure Christ above all else, these churches instinctively become places of comfort for the sinner. 
And so then how do we comfort, comfort each other? Well, we don't take a class on it. We recognize that we have a diversity of spiritual gifts that are given to us. And that diversity allows us to comfort each other like a mother in a way that we could not otherwise without the diversity. So some people in this room are really good at giving you the hard truth that you need to hear when you're in need of comfort. And others are really good at listening and not saying a word. Family, do you realize we need both of those giftings? Do you realize this isn't a preference of this is what I need or that's what I need? No, we need everybody working together as we comfort one another like a mother. Look at First Thessalonians chapter 2. I want to show you where I'm getting this connection with the church. In First Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 7 and 8, Paul, speaking of his own ministry among the Thessalonians, he says, but we were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. Now verse 8, I want you to notice, is filled with motherly language. In verse 8 he says, so being affectionately desirous of you. We wanted to share with you. Not only the gospel, but our own selves. Don't you see the kind of love that Paul had for the church in Thessalonica? It was a desirous kind of love. It was a sharing kind of love. Not just simply of truth, but of himself. He wanted to give himself to the body. And he calls this a motherly kind of love. Now, he goes on in chapter 3, verse 12... And he says, may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you. Meaning this isn't just simply the kind of love that church leaders are to have for the flock, but it's the kind of love that every single member of the church is to have for each other. A motherly, nurturing, desirous, sharing, generous kind of love. This is what it means to be the church. And this is what I believe it looks like when God comforts us. He does it through the means of His body, the gathered local church. Have you ever considered that the church is much more than simply a social gathering of religious people? Have you ever considered, considered that the church is the very representation of God on earth? In the same way that Jerusalem in the Old Covenant represented God to the nations, have you ever considered that God has called His church to represent Him to the nations? Have you ever considered the fact that the church then becomes the very means through which God brings comfort to sinners? I wonder if you could just think about this right now. In what ways has God comforted you through the church? Through the preaching of His Word? Through the ordinances? Through the Lord's Supper? through hearing of testimonies and baptisms, 
through individuals coming around you, reminding you of God's grace? Do you realize that, that we are the memes of each one of us experiencing the comfort that comes from God? I wonder if you might ask yourself, uh, in, in what way might I grow in my own ability to, to comfort others? I wonder how I might comfort others. I wonder how God might use me as His means of comforting the sinner. So the first point, just to restate it, is, is simply this. That God uses the, or that that the church comforts like a mother instinctively. Secondly, the church comforts like a mother mercifully, with great mercy and great grace. Last week, Stephanie and Montrell and I we went to the courthouse uh, for Mark's hearing. Many of you uh, know Mark and have been praying for him. Uh, if you don't know Mark, Mark is a guy who, as a sign of repentance, turned himself in. And we've been walking with him and tracking with him and looking forward to restoration with Mark uh, soon. And so we went to Mark's hearing, and, um, and Stephanie and I both said some words to testify on his behalf. Then Montrell stood up uh, to testify. And, uh, to frame what I'm about to say, you have to know that the, the state's attorney bench had said that Mark has many sins to atone for. And so I didn't know what Montrell was going to say because Stephanie and I covered everything. So Montrell stands up and says a couple things, and then he says, just so you know, he's talking to the judge, all right? This is in court. <laughs> he says, just so you know, none of us can atone for our sins. <laughs> and that's why we have Christ. But that's another story. And he sat down. <laughs> so you better preach. <laughs> but listen, that, this is what it looks like to comfort. I talked to Mark yesterday, and he was in near tears as he shared with me the comfort he received hearing Montrell preach the gospel in court. Do you realize the comfort that we give to each other as we forgive and as we voice forgiveness of our sins, the mercy of God. We comfort like a mother when we love with mercy and with grace. It must be stated at this point that only the repentant then can receive comfort. In chapter 66 of Isaiah, the first four verses reference the unrepentant. They receive no comfort. If you do not take responsibility for your sins, you do not confess your sin. You do not admit your sin. You blame everybody else for your sin. You will have no comfort in this life or the next. You will, for all of eternity, experience the most severe uncomfort imaginable. But for those who are repentant, there is comfort. In verse 5 of chapter 66, uh, again, uh, uh, just to remind you, he says uh, this is uh, for those who tremble at God's word. The repentant receive comfort. 
The difference from the, uh, uh, the, the repentant from the unrepentant is that the repentant realize that the skies and the earth see everything, that nothing has escaped the eyes of God. And this is why our comfort has to ultimately come from God. This is not something the church creates. Forgiveness is not something that ultimately comes from Joel Kerr's. Forgiveness comes from God. Therefore, our comfort ultimately comes from God. As God forgives sin. Listen, if you're not a Christian right now, I want you to know that you have this invitation to come to Christ. To, to believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins. He took the penalty that should have been yours in His own body on the tree. He died for you. He paid the penalty of sin for you. He rose again from the grave three days later. And He called across the, 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 the great, the great uh, cavern of death and He says, repent and come to Me. Trust in Me. And you will be saved. Trust in Jesus Christ now. Confess your sins and know that He is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins. If you don't understand that, you won't understand the comfort that we're talking about today. The comfort is primarily the comfort of forgiveness. That God doesn't hold it against you because Christ has taken it. But the question, church, that I want to go back to is this, is how do we feel it? Like, what is, our, what is our experience, our tangible experience of it if it isn't each other? Voicing this comfort. Reminding each other of, these, uh, of, these, uh, of the comfort that we have in Jesus Christ. Last week, two weeks ago, I don't, I don't remember, I've been so busy lately. At some time in the past, I said something to uh, a friend of mine. I was speaking about a mutual friend of ours. And I said something offensive about that mutual friend. And I meant it to be funny, and it wasn't funny. And for about 24 hours, I felt extremely grimy about what I said. The next day I went to my friend and internally I was much more distraught than he could tell on the outside. But I went to my friend and I said, hey, I just wanted to say what I said about so-and-so, that wasn't right, I, I apologize for that. And my friend said, or I, 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 said, I, said, I said, I feel grimy and I apologize for that. My friend said, well, first I'm glad that you feel grimy. And, uh, and he said, in a second, it's done. It's, it's as if it didn't happen. Do you know how I felt when he said, it's as if it didn't happen? Do you recognize that the forgiveness I needed first and foremost was from God? And my friend was the means through which God is communicating forgiveness reminding me that the blood of Christ covers all sins. 
this is how we comfort each other. We comfort each other like a mother, mercifully. Some questions for application. Number one, do you give the, op- uh, the church the opportunity to comfort you? What I mean by that is, do you take responsibility for your sin? When you are wrong, are you quick to apologize? Are you quick to own up to it and recognize I, I was wrong? We cannot comfort as a church unless given the opportunity. Does that make sense? Do you give the church the opportunity to comfort? And secondly, on the other side of this, are you quick to forgive or are you quick to judge? Are you quick to forgive or are you quick to judge? In other words, do you have a disposition of love towards someone who's done wrong? Towards someone that you don't understand? Towards someone that you don't like? Towards somebody that you don't really get along with well? Do you have a disposition of mercy and grace in the same way that a mother would with her rebellious child? In that same vein, when someone does seek to comfort you, do you act like a consumer? What I mean by that is I can't tell you as a pastor how many times I've heard people say, yeah, they tried to counsel me, but they, but, but, but they didn't say X, Y, and Z. Or, yeah, they, they said this, but that's not what I needed in the moment. Or, yeah, I, I, they, they gave me advice, but I really just needed somebody to listen. You see what I'm saying? Like how critical we can get of each other when others try to help me. Well, that is not uh, the way of a mother either. Let me use an analogy. On Mother's Day, two children told their mother, don't worry about cooking this evening. We're going to take care of dinner. And nine pots, two skillets, four bowls, three spoons, and five cups later, their mother said, that was the best jello I've ever had. <laughs> Listen, don't, as mothers, don't we understand that a, a, a mother can recognize a good attempt and receive it as love? You see, when we get critical of the way that we love each other, we're not loving each other. We ought to recognize, even when somebody doesn't do a good job at loving you, we ought to recognize, at least they tried. Maybe ribs is what I would have liked, and I got jello, but the jello brings tears to my eyes because that's the best they could do. Can we love each other like this, church? Can we walk with each other? Can we care for each other? Can we comfort one another like a mother would? We do it mercifully. We walk with grace. We walk with love. Thirdly and lastly, the church comforts like a mother faithfully. The church comforts like a mother faithfully. Mothers, listen, mothers do not forget their children. 
In Isaiah chapter 49, verse 15, just a few verses earlier, God says, I will, uh, or like a mother, God will not forget you. Mothers do not forget their children. As Montrell, Stephanie, and I were sitting in court waiting for Mark's hearing, the hearing just previous to his was of an 18-year-old young man who had received a life sentence for killing a man. He had stabbed a man to death. He was sitting with his attorney, and his attorney was asking the judge for a, to consider a new sentence. Now, what I noticed during this brief hearing, sitting behind us, was clearly the boy's mother. I knew it was the boy's mother because she had praying hands to her lips with tears in her eyes. When you have committed the worst sin and the world has forgotten you, a mother doesn't forget. And Paul says in 1 Thessalonians, love in the same way that we loved, and that was the love of a mother. We don't forget each other. We love faithfully. It's an enduring kind of love that we have for one another. And it is an enduring, faithful, unforgetting kind of love because that is the love of God for us. God's love for you will not end. His love will continue until He makes all things new. Turn the page in 1 Thessalonians. Look at chapter 4. In verse 13, Paul continues to exhort one another how to love in this way. And he says, I do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep. That means dead. That you may grieve, uh, not grieve as others do who have no hope. Look, look at verse 16. For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command and with the voice of an archangel and with the sound of a trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with Him in the clouds. Verse 18, Therefore, encourage, or in some translations, comfort one another with these words. What does it look like to have an enduring kind of love for each other? What does it look like to comfort each other in a, uh, in a way that looks forward until the end? The final way that we are to comfort each other is to remind one another that death is not the end. That Jesus died and rose again. The invitation to Christ is to be comforted beyond this life. Let's be real. In this life, marriages fall apart. God's love remains. Some may never find romantic love. God's love remains. Earthly parents sometimes fail. But God's love remains. 
Some may never have their own children, but God's love remains. Your work, your job will come to an end. God's love remains. Neighbors come and neighbors go and God's love remains. Institutions will open and institutions will close, but God's love remains. Kids, friends at school might turn against you, but God's love remains. Youth fades. Your bodies get old and will break down and you will die and be buried, but God's love remains. And I get it, sometimes when we are in need of comfort, we want to be comforted in certain ways. But God comforts us often in unexpected ways. When you're dying, you want to be comforted with life. And I get that. When you're sick, you want to be comforted with health. And that's understandable. When you've done something wrong and you have to pay the consequences, you want to be comforted with freedom now. And I can understand that. But God doesn't comfort us in these ways. His comfort is not necessarily to say everything will be right now. We're not told to encourage each other with those words. But rather we find comfort in the words, everything will be alright then. When? When Jesus returns. This is ultimately where our comfort leads us. We're looking to a comfort beyond anything that health uh, in this world, success in this world, wealth in this world can provide. We are looking toward something that is better. Listen, some people drive cars that are nicer than mine, if you can believe that. Some people live in houses that are nicer, but these things will not comfort me. I need something better. Some people live worry-free lives with no financial restraint in this earth, but I need something better. Some people are having so much fun partying, drinking the best drinks, and eating the best foods, but church, I need something better. Because nothing in this world will provide the comfort we need. What is it that we need? It's what God has shown us. Christ is coming again. The dead will be raised to new life. All things will be made new. And we will forever live and remain with God. And that's better. Amen? Amen. That is better. Listen, can an 18-year-old who stabbed a man to death, who's locked up for the rest of his life for murder, can he find comfort? Can he sing with us by and by when the morning comes, when all the saints of God are gathered home, we will tell the story of how we've overcome. We will understand it better by and by. Can an 18-year-old who's locked up for the rest of his life for murder Can He sing with us Rock of Ages? 
cleft for me. Let me hide myself in Thee. Yes, He can. Yes, He can. Because He can sing, nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to the cross I cling. Naked I come to Thee for dress. Helpless I look to Thee for grace. Foul I to the fountain fly. Wash me, Savior, or I die. In Revelation 21 and 22, we see heavenly Jerusalem, our mother, come to earth. And there we have great comfort. There is no more death. There are no more tears. The old order has passed away. Listen, we have comfort now in this life as we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And we have greater comfort that is to come. As one whom His mother comforts, so God will comfort you. You shall be comforted in the new Jerusalem. Amen? Let's pray. Father, We thank You for the comfort that we have in Jesus Christ. His blood that is shed for us for the forgiveness of our sins. We pray, God, that we as a church would comfort one another like a mother and be the very means of grace as You apply Your forgiveness, as as You comfort us in the Gospel through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.